mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work. This is episode 128 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck, here to talk with Josiah Renorden. But just before we get to the interview, we are sitting here one day after the release of Comedy Rewind, my 90s comedy rewatch podcast, which just launched on the 8-Bit Collective. Really stoked to do that and finally get it out there after hitting the Patreon stretch goal with 8-Bit. And that's up now. Episode 1 is Happy Gilmore, covering that with Jack Cruz and Salim the Dream Abraham. So I really enjoyed that. I hope you will go subscribe now. It would really help a lot. And uh, let me know what you think of the show because it's going to take a lot of my focus going ahead, I think. The name again is Comedy Rewind. But today we're talking to Josiah. He's the manager of third-party content at Electronic Arts, which is the second largest gaming company in the US and Europe. So it's more than 9,000 employees. And here's one of them is Josiah. He'll be able to explain his job there a lot better than I could. But essentially, it sounds like he works with these third-party developers to get their games into the Origin digital distribution platform. It's his job to manage those partnerships and... He's been there for about seven months, so previous to that, he's been working as a freelance writer for websites like GameSpot and IGN. So I really enjoyed kind of hearing Josiah's story of how he got into the games industry from the media perspective. He also had a podcast called The 1099 that's still running with a different host, but similar to this one, but more focusing on games industry personalities exclusively and how he leveraged those styles of content creation, the writing and the podcasting into an actual job in the industry now on the development side of things. So it was great to kind of learn his insights on what it's like to work in the development offices after spending so much time on the other side interviewing developers and writing reviews and now to be someone who's having their game product reviewed. The shoe's on the other foot and I found that really fascinating to see how he processes that and has adjusted to that transition. So I'll let Josiah do the rest of the talking. Here he is enjoy the show josiah thanks for coming on the show it's great to have you on the podcast thank you it's been a long time since i've actually sat in front of a mic and talked to this <laughs> so if anything thank you for having me on it's refreshing yeah, that's all right and so i guess your podcast or your former podcast the is it 1099 how do you pronounce it 1099 and it's 1099 um, no it, yeah it was a uh, that's the the tax form for freelancers here and okay. that sounds like a crazy name for something but i was <laughs> working in florida and my um co-worker was like we were, I was trying to brainstorm what a name would be. She's like, why don't you just call it the 1099? I'm like, that sounds mm. both like a tax form and a cool hit ABC like cop show. So I'm just going to go with that and it works. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I was just going to say, it, it sounds quite similar to this podcast. I've got a, a kind of wider range of people that I'll bring on, but a lot of people that you've talked to, writers, YouTubers, devs in the games industry would be quite similar to past guests on here. So we've got that in common, I think. I actually used to like look at the guests you'd get and have like every once in a while it's a moment of like, man, I, I was about to get that person or I would use it <laughs> as like, oh, that's someone I want to talk to. And now I know they're open to talking on podcasts. So maybe I'll reach yeah. out. So now, I mean, I think we had some from kind of funny to different people in media. Mm. I think we shared some of the, the guest lists. Yeah, that's a funny thing, isn't it? I used to do that as well. Like there'd be someone that I would always want on my podcast, but I would assume that there was no way to reach them or that they weren't into it. And then you see them on someone else's podcast and you're like, oh, they're, <laughs> they're available, you know? Yeah. And like a lot of times, and you've probably learned this over time too. It's just sometimes you just got to, you know, just reach out, just throw out an invite and see what happens. Mm. And like, as long as you... You're, you're, you can be like persistent, but not annoying in terms of follow-ups and just see yeah. like some people who are never on podcasts. It's not because 
they are unwilling it's because no one ever asked them because maybe like yeah. us they assume like ah they're just gonna say no but then they're like sure <laughs> why not let's talk yeah you just gotta be flexible and especially over here with the time zones i've really had to just kind of work hard to find times that work with people but uh i have no you, idea how you, you know do about it. that yeah. i haven't like that is like <laughs> i don't either <laughs> as someone who i did east coast and then when i moved to la I, I kept going with the podcast for a bit and that was even difficult it's to, to do it from where you are I, you're a trooper uh, that's oh, a lot thanks. of that's a lot of scheduling yeah anyway enough about me uh just i <laughs> i want to talk uh, we know that you work at ea i want to cover the journey that got you there so was it a childhood ambition of yours to work in the games industry or did it kind of come about as you explored the world of uh professional money making <laughs> <laughs> professional money making i just put that in my resume uh, yeah. the games were on the docket and kind of on my mind for a long stretch writing was always the main focus i have a journalism degree and i used to write really terrible like fiction back in high school and early college and everything like that but i had the passion for games and thought like okay games media is going to be my thing i want to be at GameSpot. i want to be at ign and was fortunate enough to do that uh, and then over time as i got deeper into the business side of it, learning about development, learning about publishing, learning about strategy. And maybe for a lot of people, that's boring hearing the kind of the numbers behind how games work rather than just pressing buttons and playing them. That stuff really grabbed me. So when mm. the after going through media at IGN and GameSpot and then working out of Sony Santa Monica and doing indie work as a producer, uh, when the EA opportunity came up, it was kind of the the thing I actually didn't realize I was looking for the entire time. Um, right. I thought it might've been like, Oh, media. And I had a great time there. Or maybe it's development. And I had moments there, but it was kind of still this, this nagging feeling in the back of my head of, I don't, I don't really know if this is the final destination, you know, like, I don't know if this is the thing that I really want to do. And, uh, I read the job description for the EA job and, uh, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a friend and someone who's a a fan of the podcast actually uh, recommend me who worked at EA. And as I was reading the description, I'm like, oh, hey, that's me. Like, that's that's Mm -hmm. it's kind of silly how much this is me. And I remember being in the interview process saying, like, this is going to sound corny, but I feel like I wrote this job description. Like, I wrote this and this was exactly the job I wanted, but it's it's a real job here. So EA was never... And publishing was never the final goal, but games were always on my mind. And as I kind of grew in the industry, this is this made so much sense. Yeah. So when you were even at college studying journalism, was games the direction that you could see yourself going? No doubt. I uh, I started writing about games when I was 16, I think. Um, and just was, there's a, for anyone who's a fan of Giant Bomb, I was used to be on the Giant Bomb forums. And there's a really embarrassing post out there somewhere. That essentially says, how the hell do I get into this? It was like, hey, does anyone know how to get into writing about games? And someone discovered me from that and just wrote for free for a long time, which I wouldn't always recommend to people. Um, it was good experience. And I don't know if any of my words at that point actually had value to them in terms of monetary value. But uh, I kept working at it for years and years and was on while I was in college, I was writing for IGN and writing for GameSpot. Uh, so it was... I was trying to do the thing where um, I would wake up at 5 a.m. and write five news stories for a site called um, Game Ranks, which now has that giant YouTube channel out there, uh, and then go to class, come back, freelance for, 
IGN or GameSpot and review a game, like come go back to class, go to the gym. It was days were long and I wouldn't recommend that life to everyone. It was a, a lot at the time, but I was really dead set on it. It was, it was something I was just so hungry for. So I had put in the time and really knew this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, you kind of glossed over the fact that you were writing for GameSpot and IGN, but that's no small thing to get there. Like having, having, I've just had one article published on IGN and I know that that was something that I kind of set out as a goal to accomplish rather than a, a path that I wanted to go down. So for you to do that while you were still at college, what was the process like? What was the kind of big break and how did that all come about? Yeah, and I did kind of gloss over it, but to be honest with you, like this, I I had that goal, and I remember when I did get the pitch accepted, I was an emotional wreck. Uh, like I I was just like babbling in terms of just what it meant to me at that time. But I I was doing all that Jeez. writing for free that I mentioned before, um, and that was sort of in a lead up to something like IGN and GameSpot. And oddly enough, my big break, quote unquote, would be I went to E3 when I was. Yeah, it was around like 20 or something like that. So it might have been junior, senior year of college. And I paid my way there at this smaller site that I was um, leading. I was like, I guess the editor in chief at that time. But when you're at a smaller site without pay, what what do these titles even mean at that point? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got invited to Michael Pactor's party, uh, the big Wedbush Intel party, and ended up meeting Lauren Lanning from Oddworld and Adam Boys at the time from Sony. And a couple other people. And when I pitched to IGN, uh, it was right as the PS3 or PS4, I'm sorry, it was about to launch. Uh, and they had that big indie showcase, if you remember, on stage where all these indies come out. And it's kind of the narrative have changed to a certain extent of like, oh, now Sony is the home for independent games. So I thought, okay, that's a great story, but why? Like, what caused that shift? So I reached out to Lauren, who was on the stage at the time, Adam, um, I reached out to. At that point, I knew um, Greg Kasavin from Supergiant pretty well. And there was one more, maybe like Greg Rice from uh, Double Fine, and asked them if they would contribute quotes to a big feature about you know why Sony is this new bastion um, for indie games. And that's what I pitched to IGN. Uh, and at the time, I I think I, someone from IGN, it might have been Justin Davis, had tweeted like, hey, we're looking for new feature writers. And within like 10 minutes, I was like, okay. Let me put this pitch together. Um, I had written, or sorry, read a book called Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right um, by Nathan Minier. And anyone who hasn't read it and wants to get into games freelancing should because it was a big sort of blueprint for how to do this. So I used a lot of the tips he had in there, wrote a pitch up, and it got accepted. Uh, and it kind of just, after, uh, you know, essentially crying in front of my roommates because I got accepted by IGN. Uh, I, I had the um, kind of just the ball rolling from there. From there, I pitched a game spot um, and was really fortunate that I, I knew Kevin Van Ord, who now um, writes for Divinity and uh, is at Larian Studios. I knew him decently and pitched to him and then got to be a regular review writer. I probably wrote like 30 reviews for GameSpot or something like that as a, as a freelancer. Um, so just kind of kept going from there. So it did mean the world to me. It was, uh, this ultimate goal. Um, and it's weird to hit your quote unquote ultimate goal earlier than you think. And I don't mean that as a brag. I mean that as (laughs) it's, it's sort of confusing for you when you have this sort of, here's what I want to do with my life. And then you hit it earlier than you thought. And you realize, 
oh damn, I didn't have a 10-year plan. I really had like a five-year plan. I haven't really figured out the rest of this. So you kind of get in a weird, now what? But at the time, it was incredible. Yeah. And so to get something published is one thing, but to kind of leverage that into ongoing work is another. And it sounds like that worked out pretty well with the reviews at GameSpot, for example. What do you think it was about your work that stood out to them and made it clear that you were someone that they could bring back and you weren't just someone that was, uh, I guess, trying to tick off a a bucket list? (laughs) That's a great question. I wish like that might be something to ask them and not me because I've never been like, oh, I'm the best writer in the world. Um, I, I guess some of the core things would be I never missed a deadline. I was always very early on things just because it was, I was so passionate about it, never wanted to mess up. Like I was always worried about don't lose this opportunity you worked so hard to get to. Uh, and I, and I, I still believe this, even though I feel like I haven't written in like 20 years, which is not true, but it feels like it. I'm so rusty now. <laughs> Uh, I would always deliver a copy that was clean. Uh, there were people who were much more eloquent than me and could dig into games at a much deeper level. Um, and I got really, I, I got better over time. And by the end of it, I really, I can even look back at some reviews and be like, hey, that's okay. I don't hate myself when I read this. It's not a complete mess. But I always delivered the the, the draft as if it was final um, mm-hmm. in terms of just no no mistakes. The flow has to work. And um I think that's it for anyone who's listening, who's trying to get into games and has an editor, like you shouldn't use that editor as I don't know what I'm doing. I think I kind of have an idea. Here's my work. You should think of that person as like the final thing is here and always be open to edits, but just make sure that whatever you're presenting is sort of the the final copy. So I, I just always delivered quickly and hopefully it was clean. And I listened to edits as much as possible because that was such a, a craft for me that I wanted to get better. I mean, even the podcast yeah. I did focused so many episodes of it was games criticism and what that looked like and how, how we're good, how we're bad, how we all need to get better. So it was something that was always on my mind. So each review meant a lot to me. So I, I tried to put as much as I could into it. Mm. Okay. And the work that you were getting, it sounds like it was semi-regular, if not regular, but was there a period of time where you were trying to get permanent positions with these companies and having to work elsewhere in between? Yes. Uh, I, out of college, um, I didn't, I continued to freelance, but I I moved from Pittsburgh to Jacksonville, Florida, um, which was like a 12, 14 hour drive. And it was, I just Mm kind of moved my life because I got an opportunity to work at a tech company that had nothing to do with games. And during that period, still freelance for IGN, for GameSpot and for kind of whoever would have me. Um, It gave me, more leeway because now i have this full-time job and security so i don't have to hustle and freelance as much Hmm. but still the end goal was i want to get to california and work at GameSpot or ign and uh definitely failed in the interview process multiple times i was right i was deep into an interview for a major site uh and i remember being in that interview and getting asked a whole bunch of questions about my experience on the mic and my experience in front of cameras. And I didn't, I I believed I could do that, but I didn't have this reel to show anyone. And at that point, that's actually when I failed that interview. That, that's the way I look at it. It's not really a failure, but I just didn't get fixed. Um, I started the 1099 pretty soon after that for multiple reasons. I, I loved podcasting, but I also wanted to be able to say, I know how to do this. Like this is yeah. something that I, I want to get, pre- and I want to get better. I, I really want to learn how to be able to communicate and not mumble and not 
be just you know unprepared in those situations so there were definitely times where i was turned away and if i look back on it i never got the the full-time editor spot that i thought i wanted that i thought was not just what i wanted but my ultimate goal uh but i mean looking back now this is the thing i actually wanted was the job i have now so in the end it all worked out but it Mm. also you know failing on those or missing those opportunities or not you know, being the top pick in those jobs pushed me instead of saying sort of woe is me. I kind of took those moments as, okay, what am I missing? And mm-hmm. how can I on the side bolster that side of me so that whenever I'm in these situations again, you kind of want to make yourself undeniable, right? You want to make yourself like, I want to be the best at this thing. Um, and I'm going to find ways. So podcasting and trying to do interviews at even my full-time job that were on video. I was like, let's do it. Like, let's, let's bolster this as much as possible. Yeah. So between, I guess, the writing, but also the podcasting, did you feel like that could be a way, like one of those two things would most likely blow up into something? Was that the goal? Was that the hope? Or were you kind of realistic as looking at it as this is a f- part of a folio that's going to get me somewhere else that I might not necessarily be able to pinpoint at this point yeah i never thought the 1099 would be like a full-time thing or anything like that i never thought that would blow up so much that it would fund my future or anything like that and same with the writing and there's always the hope and i i I put everything into it as if it would but also was very realistic about i'm going to keep this job in jacksonville or i'm going to continue to look for other things in california um and i mean even you know, the modest success of the 1099 was a surprise to me just because you never, you know how this goes when you start a podcast, you see those numbers early on and it's like, oh, well, 50 people are listening to this thing a week. And I've just put four hours into like doing <laughs> editing this and recording this and everything like that. And I, I was fortunate to get really incredible guests and, and, and gain sort of a following over time. So it was, it was awesome to see, but now it was always, it it was always twofold i guess uh, maybe three i would say the the main idea of it was i want to create a resource uh for people who want jobs in media who want jobs in development who want jobs in games to sort of have maybe not a blueprint but hear other people's stories about how they yeah. did it so they could possibly get inspired by other people to get there um i also selfishly wanted to talk to rad people and people who I respected where it's like, I want to talk to Vinny Caravella because I love Giant Bomb and I want to actually be able to talk to him. And the podcast gave me that opportunity. And then like lastly, it was, yeah, it was to in- kind of just better those skills for me so that if opportunities mm. came back up, uh, I can say, hey, look what I did. And I mean, we can get into this later, but like it, the, the, the podcast came up a lot in future interviews and people were really like impressed by it so it, it a mission accomplished it's still weird to say think about because i had so many times yeah. it's like here i am in like in my boxers in an apartment back then in florida <laughs> with like the the central air off because i didn't want that to get into the mic but it's like 90 degrees <laughs> and like that's the thing that got me a job so it's still surreal but uh yeah it, it served its purpose that's really cool and like those those first two things you mentioned about the reason you did the podcast pretty similar to mine really just wanting to talk to cool people and hopefully inspire people listening to to do something creatively with their own life whatever it is because i think lessons can be applied from one craft to another whether it's a musician or a comedian or a game designer like the the stories of hard work and 
you know, motivation. They just seem to be universal, I think. No doubt. It's, yeah, there's no perfect solution to find these things to get to the spot that you want. You can't take your journey or my journey or whoever else's and be like, cool, I'm also going to live in Townville, Pennsylvania and be homeschooled yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly get into journalism, then move to like, no, it's not going to work the same with everyone, but there's certain things you can kind of key in on. And it's what I did from people who are mm. much more talented and successful than me, but you, you pick and choose their certain attributes. And you're like, all right, let's try this. Let's see how it works. And I mean, from the, the emails I'm sure you've gotten and the emails I've gotten, a lot of people have appreciated that and it's worked for them. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of times by now, these interview processes and that kind of thing. So was it just this EA one or were there others that you identified as, okay, maybe I work in game development and there's a position for me that uses the skills I've built through writing and podcasting? Uh, at the time, it was mainly the the major media ones that were looking for mm-hmm. these types of skills. And I was still pretty young at like, you know, 22, 23 when I was applying for those. So I didn't really have the time to get those skills yet. Game development that was a whirlwind to say the least because I moved across the country for it and I had never been a producer and barely knew what that meant. Uh, <laughs> so those skills, I was definitely lacking in skills at that point, but I was fortunate enough to have close friends who appreciated sort of my work in the past and was like, nah, you'll, you'll pick it up. Um, the EA interview, because I was, this is, I guess, six months ago that I I started, um, by the time I was in that position, uh, I, f- I had done so many things here and there for freelance, for development, for the podcast that I sort of had the suite of skills that I needed. It's, it's funny, like the podcast I thought would lead to a media job, but little did I know that those were all the skills that actually got me into the publishing side of the business. So it's, yeah, yeah it, it was th- what inspired me to sort of branch out into different areas beyond writing was the the big interviews for editor roles but uh ended up that kind of carried over to everything else Mm -hmm. okay so you mentioned uh i guess that position description at ea being something that opened your eyes to the fact that it was perfect for you and what's it been like since you've joined i guess it's such a huge company that's created so many amazing games and has just been part of i guess the the zeitgeist for like at least the past 20 years that I've been following the games industry. Yeah. It's, uh, and I promise this is not like a sponsored by EA segment by me, Um, (laughs) but it's been, it's been exactly what I wanted and a little bit more. It's been a, you know, I I work on, uh, origin access and a lot of us, my team is about subscriptions. So EA is this massive company and a lot of different things are going on with it, but we're sort of to a certain extent, a startup within that, right? Because subscriptions, the idea of you know, a monthly fee for games is is something that it's worked on like Netflix and music and everything like that, but it's new to games. So we're we're really putting our heads together and figuring out how to make the best service possible. So being a part of a team who feels like a startup within a major company is fun. It's It's really cool. And it's just, I get to interface with developers. I get to at times interface with media. So it's this uh, amalgamation of everything I've done. Um, And I've 
boy, I've learned a lot. And boy, there's so much more I still need to learn just in terms of like the number of acronyms that'll happen in a single day is, is dizzying. Uh, and the number <laughs> of teams that, that sort of accumulate in a company the size of EA, you need to understand who you need to talk to and who you're working with. And that takes time. I, I think, uh, my boss pretty early on was like, it's going to take you like six months to, mostly on board and then you'll kind of know what's going on and i just hit the six month point I'm like man she was right like that it took about six months to kind of you know get my feet under me and really start understanding everything that's going on in these meetings but uh I, i've been fortunate to work on this this really incredible team that's that's building something new um within the, the ea building and it's uh it's it's been really cool it's been i i've definitely been the person at certain offices where i'm staring at the clock um, and being like, please just hit five o'clock. And I haven't felt like that. And, uh, it's, it's been nice to, to kind of see that shift. It's, it's really what convinced me like, okay, I'm in the right spot after taking that gamble and moving across the country and quitting my job in Florida and going for development. And then having that fall through, uh, last year was a crazy year of risks. Um, yeah. and it feels good to be like, it, okay, it paid off. So it's been great. That's awesome. So I probably should have asked this up the top, but it's probably a good spot now as well. What what does a manager of content and <laughs> partnerships actually do? That is or third party content. It's a fantastic question. Um, so it, it's shifted a little bit since I've gotten here, and it, you know, it's some of the details that probably can't talk too much about. But what what I would say is what I do uh, right now is we're working with uh, in the third party side with um, Origin Access on PC. Uh, there's all the EA games that are in there, but we're also every single month bringing in new third-party games to support that subscription. We just dropped a Plague Tale, Moonlighter, which was actually my game of the year last year, um, Frostpunk, Sea of Solitude. And a lot of what our team is doing is we're going out and finding content that makes sense within this ecosystem we have because it's it's very curated. It's not every single thing goes in. It's what makes sense and what what are people asking for. So we're working with these developers. We're explaining the benefits of subscription. We're, 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 you know, working out deals with them to get their games in the service. And now, uh, part of my team and I'm on this section, we're also working with our first party studios to talk about how can we build certain offers within Madden and within Apex and FIFA to, to make it that whoever subscribes gets this cool package along with the game. You get the game, sure, but here's some sort of, you know, benefit you get within that game to make it worthwhile to stick around the subscription because we want to make something that we want to subscribe to so that's kind of the big part of this is like all right if we feel this is really cool and that it's a no-brainer for us and the hope is that carries over so a lot of what i'm doing is interfacing with um with developers with publishers and it's it's been crazy because it's uh i ended up talking to I won't say names or studios, but I end up talking to people who I've podcasted with, any developers where I'm like, hi, I'm here now. Um, and now we get to talk and like actually do business, which is crazy. Like it's, it's, it's kind of been the best of both worlds because I'm talking to people in media too and development and all over the place. So it's, uh, mm. it's, it is a crazy title that, um, is sort of a grab bag role that does a little bit of everything. Um, but that's what I wanted from the start is to be involved in as many sectors as possible because this, this stuff fascinates me. I want to learn more about, you know, EA originals in our indie programs. I want to learn more about how we work with media and influencers and everything like that. And this role is kind of giving me an opportunity to jump into different sections. Excellent. So as someone that was on the other side in uh, the games industry for so long, looking at reviews and 
interviewing developers and all that kind of thing what's it been like what's the probably the the most surprising or the biggest eye-opening thing you've seen since being on that side of the office uh, that's a great question um i would say when i was in development the craziest thing was when an embargo lifts for a game that your name is on um <laughs> compared to when the, it lifted before and i was in the review side you just you know you can't think about uh like hurting it. anyone's feelings or anything yeah. like that because it's just hey my job is to you know critique this and, and give my opinion of this game and i remember when i was um still working with tangent games it was like uh when here they lie launched it was like i remember the first review being like an eight and a half out of ten I'm like oh my god it's incredible the next one was like a one out of ten i'm like oh this is I'm gonna vomit. Like it was, uh, <laughs> it was a super. I know it's cliche to say roller coaster, but it was in that case a roller coaster. Um, and like the publishing side, um, I don't know if I ever had too many assumptions, or if I did, they were I was younger and I was uneducated, and everyone kind of gets into the grouping of like, you know, all big publishers are this way or that way. But like, I it's it's genuinely been refreshing to be in an environment like this with so many smart people who really know what they're doing and understand the stuff in and out where hmm. you know there are some people who and this is like this with like i'm assuming all big publishers there's some people who are super passionate about games and know that back and forth but then you work with people within the company who know more about marketing than anyone i've ever met in my entire life or know more about the finance side of this the numbers and uh what you know what numbers are we looking for what sort of metrics are we hitting and working together in that ecosystem where it's like all right here's my expertise about how moonlighter is the greatest game ever and we should pay a billion dollars to get in a service and they're like okay calm down <laughs> like i know you like this game but let's let's talk about what makes sense so it's um i didn't have too many assumptions i guess just the the, the good like the good feeling is having sort of everyone has their expertise and you're working together to do something cool sure no that's cool I imagine, like, there would just be so many moments you look around and think, oh, wow, I'm actually in here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's even the, um, when I did the interview and was walking out and just saw, like, the big old EA logo in front of the elevator, it was kind of a, how did this happen moment, mm -hmm. uh, where it's like, how did I end up, and in a good way, it was like, how did I end up in this situation after kind of the journey here? It was not where I expected mm -hmm. to land, but, uh, I uh, definitely like when I emailed um, my current boss but at the time, just the person who interviewed, interviewed me back. I was like, hey, like, don't want to keep bugging you with emails, but like, this is the thing for me. Like, this is this is the one that I absolutely want. And, I, you know, I know you got to make your decision, but like, this is the thing. So, yeah. And I think it was in that moment where I was just staring at the EA logo after going through the interview where I'm like, yeah, this is it. And it's still it's still weird. It's still every mm -hmm. once in a while I have to have kind of a how did all this happen moment, but I'm happy it did. <laughs> so what would you say has been the hardest part of getting to where you are? I would say it's to maintain the same level of motivation, work ethic, and sort of fervor for this yeah. uh, through rejection and through sort of just life happening. Like when you're in college and before that, you maybe you don't even realize how much free time you have, but you do have way more free time than when you're an adult ass adult with doing your taxes and, mm. and doing all these other things in your life. Um, and like I said before, when I had reached that sort of what I thought was my ultimate goal at 21, the problem with not having a long-term plan is you kind of, you plateau and then don't really know what to do. So I kind of was just, I wasn't okay 
standing still, but it was hard to find motivation for the next thing. A lot of that drive I had had sort of diminished um, and I needed to set new goals. Um, mm. So like over time, it took a while to get back to that same mindset that sort of, I really want to do this and not just, I think I'm going to, but like, no, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to put everything into it. I'm going to try to outwork everyone. Uh, and it just took a while to find that again. And I think that's maybe a natural thing, especially in your early to mid twenties after you're done with college yeah. and after you've kind of settled into a job, you can really easily get into a routine and not have that same passion you had before. Uh, and I'm really fortunate to have that back now, but the, the in-between was definitely the hardest portion on the way here. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested what your answer is going to be because you've probably asked the question of so many people in a similar <laughs> position, but what, what would be your advice to people that want to do what you're doing now? Oh man. Um, it's a good question because I have asked a lot of people this and it's weird how it's, I guess for for me, it's always, there's multiple layers to this because I do think it's important to have not a backup plan, but don't be disappointed if it doesn't happen right away because mm -hmm. this is a process and some people will absolutely get it right away. And if you're like me, maybe you'll have those, I resent this person moment where you're like, oh, they already do this. I was working so hard to get here and I haven't gotten it yet. But um, like the Florida <laughs> job was sort of the... Hey, it's, it's okay to do this for a while and slow down on the other pursuits as long as I'm still pursuing it. But yeah. just even if, if you're working super hard, make sure you're getting compensated in some way. Like I, I do think there's a certain value in writing for free early on when you're 15, 16 and maybe a lot of your work isn't top tier and, and, and at the level to get picked up yet, but know your value coming up. Um, and know that, you know, your, your, your work. It deserves more than just, oh, we're going to get you recognition or we're going to be able to promote you. It's like, no, let's, if I'm putting the time in, I want to get something back out of it. Um, be open to criticism, um, constructive criticism. Uh, that's something that, especially as a writer, if you're not used to it, it's kind of terrifying, especially if like a major editor is like this. What, what was the, like the, the worst possible response where it's like, Hey, you're on the right track, which is really like, well, you have words on a page, but that's about as close as you got to this review. Um, it, it's just kind of taking a little bit of everyone's advice and moving forward under that. Um, and just, I, maybe the lesson to, after hearing me the entire time is, is set kind of more long-term goals, like set goals that can keep pushing you forward because it's really easy to get stuck in a rut. Um, it's really mm. easy to hit certain levels and be like, okay, I'm comfortable here. And if you're comfortable there and, and you're happy, that's fine. But I wasn't. Um, so it's sort of yeah. this idea of I, I had to, now that I've outlined it more, I'm back at this point where I'm like, all right, I want to do this in two years and this in five years. And it feels good to push towards something like that. It feels good to be like, all right, I, in two years, I want to be here rather than like, oh, well, in two years, I'm probably gonna be doing the same thing and still freelancing and who knows. So it's it's that's really been helpful mm. yeah i think that it's easy to kind of get stuck where where you are if you're getting enough money for example and then find it easier to to do that than push yourself and put yourself in a position where maybe you're not as well off financially but you're kind of in the area that you want to work in so to to be in a place where you can do both and do something like your podcast and freelance like that's really 
I think that's a really good place to be able to advance your career whilst actually working. It just means that you have to be motivated to go out and do that and keep the goal, you know, keep your eyes on the goal. Sure. I, I think, and maybe like to add one more thing to just the overall advice thing is, and you mentioned it right there. Uh, it is hard when you have a full-time job or a family or everything else going on to find time to do these things on the side. So it's not going to be the same for everyone, but yeah. maybe the best thing I ever did was be honest with myself about where I had deficiencies. Like I mentioned for those interviews where it was, it was podcasting or it was video stuff or it was being able to communicate beyond just writing and finding ways to fill those gaps. And it doesn't have to always be, well, I need to go quit my job and find a job full time that does these things. There's really, there are ways that if you're passionate about something and you're missing these elements that you can add to your resume, you can do it on your own. It doesn't have to take five years to do it. If you want to spend a year doing a podcast or maybe if you want to get into music, find some way to like produce your own or, or put beats together. It's something that you can show as long as you have something you can show and it has some success or some level of professionalism to it. You can fill in those gaps on the side while you're still doing your main work so that when that dream job or when that application or, or job description comes out that you feel like you wrote for yourself, you have all those gaps filled and you're able to confidently say like, People joke about like, oh, everyone says they know how to use Excel perfectly in all of their job interviews and that you kind of, you know, BS your way through a lot of stuff. If you find that right job and you filled in those gaps, you can be like, no, I know how to do this thing. Like, here's here's my portfolio. Here's what I've done. And I think yeah. people even appreciate it more, hiring managers and managers in general. When you put in, put in the work, you like that? You like that plug? When you, uh, <laughs> when you put in the work on your own, in your own individual way, so that you said like, I had the drive on the side to do this to make sure that when we're talking right now, you can feel confident in saying like, this is the guy or this is the girl. Mm. Like it doesn't, that's, that's, it's, it's always been important for me. Mm. So last question, and then I'll let you go, uh, get ready for your weekend. It's, uh, <laughs> if you could do anything and no, you wouldn't fail, what would you do? God, I have it's so weird. I've never really thought about that. Maybe this would be down the line. This uh, let me say it this way, like right now, because where I'm at, I'm really happy with it. But if I like, if I was trying to like, all right, if you let's go start something from scratch. I would love to mm -hmm. start a studio that helps indie developers um, create the thing they want to create without worrying about you know budgeting and everything like that. So it's it's a dream world, right? It's it's not yeah. it's you understand the the business behind everything. But I have so many friends. And know so many people who have these incredible game ideas that because of market realities and just how, you know, it's hard to make video games. It's not easy, but I would love to create, I look at something like um, Annapurna or Devolver and I really love kind of like their, their attitude in a lot of ways with like the, on the indie side. Um, and we do mm -hmm. some really incredible stuff with EA Originals too. So, so to, at one point, if I'm making f you money someday and i have this giant sum of money i would love to be the person who's like i'm just going to fund all these incredible projects um sea of solitude stands out i i love that game and i love that team and um i just i i love when when developers are able to create these experiences that you can that really come from a place where it's like oh my god like that is their signature that is their their main work that that means a lot to them it's 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 whether it's personal or not and uh mm. to be able if i could not fail and have this company that funded that and allowed them to 
without any restrictions make games like that that'd be really cool sounds pretty cool and i guess the great thing about what you're doing now is there's a little bit of crossover like you're able to be part of a team that does offer that to some indies i guess the criteria is quite different than what it would be otherwise (laughs) i'm not andrew wilson um so like i don't have like full control like but no i mean that's that's one of the things i love is i'm even if it's in a small way sometimes in a big way i i I have some sort of some sort i hate the word power it's not that but i have some sort of influence within this team to help bring really cool people and cool projects to everyone's attention and that means a lot to me uh especially after doing the podcast for so many years and talking to people who inspired me um and who really changed how i look about you know uh, games and game development as a whole uh it's i'm lucky to do what i do indeed all right well thank you so much for coming on the show josiah it's been great to hear your story and hopefully it's helpful to some of my listeners hopefully yeah and if i babbled i'm sorry but no thanks for having me on i i missed talking on a mic so you you gave me a great excuse to even if i had to talk about myself a little bit but uh thanks so much and keep doing what you do it's awesome Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Josiah on Twitter. He's at Josiah Renaudin. That's R-E-N-A-U-D-I-N. Of course, you can help this show by leaving a five-star review and rating in iTunes, or by heading over to patreon.com slash weare8bits. And thanks to the patrons over there. We just launched the Comedy Rewind podcast. It's finally happened, so make sure you subscribe to that one too. You can catch me on social media at Jono himself. And until next week... Putting in work.